Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? I teach the ninth grade. I'll stand here all morning. I'll be more awkward than you think I could be. Um, please don't challenge me to do that. Uh, who's singing alto over here? I felt like I was standing with my mother in church this morning. It was wonderful. My mom sang alto. Every song we sang in church, she sang the alto line. And because of that, I sing the alto of every song, or I can hear the alto. Um, I sang tenor in our church choir, and uh, my goodness, uh, it was great. So thank you for singing out and singing alto. It was wonderful. It was like having mom next to me. Um, And that's a good thing. It's a positive thing. She's a good lady. Uh, She is a mother-in-law to my wife, but she's a good one. So you don't have to be a bad mother-in-law. You can be a good one. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Let's, uh, Let's get back on track. Uh, my, daughter, my daughter is here with me this morning. I don't have the rest of the family, so I've got five kids. We have John Quincy, who's the, I usually go in the other direction, I'll start with Reagan. She's the oldest, Reagan, uh, and then we have Jackson, and we have Jefferson, then we have Madison, and then John Quincy, and our last name is Adams. Yes, I did that to my child. His name is John Quincy Adams. May he live up to that man's greatness. Um, uh, he did kind of look like John Quincy when he was born, um, just bald and kind of, you know, that, that picture of John Quincy that we have. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're all named after good dead presidents. We are the presidential family. We love history and uh, we love American history because it's the only one that really matters and uh, not really. So, uh, but yeah, this is Reagan. She's with us. She's 13. <clears throat> and uh, the other kids, our church has a program in children's church where uh, they get uh, rewarded. Wow, this is going to sound terrible. I have to explain. Uh, they get rewarded for coming to church. They get points. Um, the, the little kids get points, and they bring their Bible, they get points. They bring a guest, they get points. And they're building up, and they, they memorize scripture. And they build up points for our Christmas store every year. And um, and the heart of our Sunday school, or our children's church director, is that um, kids will will earn currency, so to speak, so that they can buy things in the store for others. And so um, they're allowed to buy themselves one little thing, but they have to spend the majority of their points on others. And so it gives kids the ability. So my kids chose Filthy Lucre over coming to church here this morning. And uh, so, uh, yeah, but uh, Reagan informed me this morning, Brother Luke, thanks, I've got to up my game. Um, Popcorn and Capri Suns, so thanks a lot for that. Uh, and uh, probably preached well, too, but she was more impressed with the popcorn and Capri Sun. I don't know if that's supposed to say anything, but uh, I'm going to have to step my game up. Uh, so I think this church, when we come up, there's a sign out there that says 76 years. Um, that's amazing. Um, some of you have been here longer than others. Some of you are fresh, new in this church. This church is vital. Um, Jerome... Idaho needs this church, and, and if I can step out of my bounds a little bit this morning and just tell you something that you probably already know, but I'm just going to say it anyway, 76 years, this is crunch time. This, this is when, this is a make or break time in a church's life. Not a lot of churches make it to 76 years. Um, this is time for, for uh, uh, older people who have been here a long time. And younger people who are newer here, or older people who are newer here, everybody needs to be pushing on the same plow, in the same direction, behind their pastor and supporting him. Um, uh, this, is, this is what Margaret Thatcher said to George Bush when she was sending 
the British military to help in the first Gulf War. This is no time to go wobbly. Uh, you want me to do it like Margaret? This is no time to go wobbly. This is, this is time. This is crunch time. Thank you for your faithfulness. This church is vital. This is an important church. I, I talked to my wife on Tuesday when we were coming over to preach. Um, this church is important. Um, so please understand your value in this community. Uh, the water church, right? The water bottle church. Yeah, y'all are important. You're known. Um, please, thank you for your faithfulness, but please continue. Um, thank you for uh, Brother Knutson letting me preach for you. I, I appreciate that. It takes a, lot of, uh, takes a lot of courage to have somebody as um, immature as me come in and preach. So uh, uh, he really took a great risk. Uh, he probably believes you guys are spiritually mature and can take this. Uh, uh, do pray for him, Brother Luke. You said it beautifully. Um, good job taking care of your pastor and, and pray him home and welcome him home, but man, he needed to be with family, and a lot of times we get isolated, my family's in Florida, we get isolated, and, and no bad feelings, no bad attitudes about it, but we get isolated, and, uh, and, and we'll come and preach to empty pews, because you're visiting family out of town, and we didn't get to, so thank you for, for loving him, and Miss Dana, and their family enough to go home, and, uh, and he told me he, uh, he's relaxed, and so that's great. He's going to come home refreshed. So thank you for loving him like that and his wife and his family. Best thing you can do for a pastor is love their family. Um, musicians, I play the piano. Uh, so the organ, that's a strange and foreign instrument to me, but I play the piano. So I know the complication and the complexity of some of those songs. We played John Newton. He, he wasn't a musician, so... His music went everywhere. Um, he didn't necessarily write the music for it. Uh, you played Beethoven this morning. Uh, Ludwig von Beethoven, we had, we had him play this morning. And then Christmas music. I love it, and I hate it. Um, playing Christmas music is probably the worst thing you can ever do uh, to your own psyche. And you guys did amazing. So thank you for playing this morning. Uh, very technical songs and very difficult songs. So well done. Um, Okay, now we're going to get into the Bible this morning. Is that okay with you? I'm done with introduction. Uh, We're going to go to uh, the Bible. Luke chapter 8. I want you to find two passages, actually. Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4. We're going to read about an account that is actually covered three different times in what are called the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um... But before we start reading, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 first. I want to tell you, uh, open up with an illustration. Um, On April 4th of 1988, a man by the name of Ivan McGuire loaded up in an airplane. He had several other skydivers with him. Ivan was a photographer. He was on his way to becoming one of the best skydiving photographers in America, and videographers. He'd done over 800 jumps. Now, why anybody would jump out of an airplane once is beyond me. Even if it's going down, I might take my chances. Um, 800 jumps. So the routine of getting in the airplane and jumping out was second nature to Ivan. The plane reached jumping altitude The indicator light came on, and Ivan, with the rest of the skydivers in the plane, jumped out. 
and began filming them as they free fell, pretending they liked it, um, going down, plummeting to the earth. It came time for everybody to pull the ripcords. Ivan was among the last because he's the videographer. He catches everybody as they go. And then Ivan, uh, last man, went to pull his ripcord. And when he went to pull his ripcord, it wasn't there. Investigators reviewed Ivan's video when they recovered his camera. And what they said they saw was he reached his hand and it went out of view of the camera. And you heard two words, oh no. Ivan had forgotten to put his parachute on. 800 jumps and he'd forgotten to put his parachute on. The subject we're going to cover this morning is faith. I want to cover the subject of faith, but I, I, I want to cover it in a little bit of a different fashion. I don't want to just talk about having faith. I, that's, I, I don't want to just, just, just emphasize, hey, you should have faith. And not even this, you should have faith in. Because every single person, every single person needs to have faith in Jesus Christ. It is paramount that we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and because we're on the subject of faith, I, I don't want to go further into this and assume I'm talking to believers this morning. I don't know you. Most of you don't know me. So I'm going to go ahead and start off by this. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it is an individual thing that you must do intentionally. You don't accidentally get saved, and you don't get saved because your mama was saved. You get saved because you, as a person, saw yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the Savior that you need, and you place your faith and your trust in Him and Him alone, not works or anything else. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're like Ivan jumping out of an airplane with no parachute on. And and, and honestly, we can know that our faith needs to be in Jesus Christ. We can know that our faith needs to be in the one and only one who can save us and not our own works. But if we don't actually do it and we don't actually pray, and there has a time in our lives, because I've heard people say, well, I've always been saved. I was raised in church. No, no, no. If there wasn't a time that you personally bowed your head and prayed and said, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I believe you died on the cross, and you're the Son of God, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and save me, you haven't put your parachute on yet. You'll be just like Ivan. And when the time comes, and you go to pull the ripcord, oh no will be the least of your worries. There is a day of reckoning coming. We'll talk about that tonight. But I'm not talking about that. I want to talk about this. It's not... Okay, let's ask Ivan. If we could ask Ivan this morning, Ivan, you're about to jump out of an airplane. What's... Because you only... In order to skydive, you don't need a parachute. You need a parachute if you want to skydive again, right? Like, Ivan, you're you're about to hit jump 801. How are you going to live, survive... What are you trusting in? What would Ivan say? A parachute. His faith was in a parachute. Where was his parachute? In the hangar. You understand what I'm saying? Where was his faith? It was in a parachute. Where was the parachute? 
in a hangar. Where was his faith? It wasn't on him. It wasn't with him. He hadn't done anything, anything to, to, to put on the parachute in which he had his faith. Ivan placed his faith in a parachute, but he hadn't put it on. It was this carelessness. Had it been just such a mundane routine for him? Did he not want to be encumbered with the straps and everything while he was loading up his equipment? I don't know. We have no idea why Ivan didn't put his parachute on. We do know that Ivan planned on jumping again because Ivan's two famous words, oh, no, um, are forever in that video. James wrote in his, in his epistle to the churches, he said this, faith without works is dead. Faith, to, to say that faith is dead, that's, that's blasphemous. But James says, faith, yeah, you got faith? Show me your faith by your works. Faith without works is dead. Faith in Christ is always best expressed through our actions. So this morning, I'm going to ask the question that's in our passage. I'm going to ask the question. And I've covered the fact that if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, there will be time this morning, there will be a time of invitation where a piano plays. I believe Brother Luke's going to lead us in a, in a stanza or just the piano will play. And, and during that time, you have the opportunity to come down and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, I've, I'm dealing with that. But I'm dealing with you too, Christian. I'm dealing with us. And here's the question. And, and it's simple, but it's profound. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? But I'm saved. I know. Where is your faith? Have you placed, where, where have you placed, what are you trusting in this morning? with your life. Let's read, and then we're going to pray. We're just going to read uh, from, uh, from both passages. Luke chapter 8. Are we still there? Ah, yes. So, Luke chapter 8. Why don't we stand, if you're able, uh, while we read these two passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 8, and your finger should be in Mark chapter 4. Luke eight twenty two. it says, Now... It came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other, other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Mark chapter 4. Now, if you'll turn there quickly. Mark 4.35, it says, And in the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. 
And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the day you've given to us. I thank you for this church congregation. I thank you for their faithfulness. I pray that you would bless this morning the reading of your word. And Lord, do, do today among us and in us what only you can do. We trust you with these things. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, you, uh, you can be seated. Thank you. Uh, now, if you had asked the disciples this, this, this day, I mean, during the day, it was when the evening was coming, so they, it's starting to get dark out. They're going to load into a ship and go on the other side. If you asked them, these disciples, hey, Peter, John, James, Andrew, are you guys men of faith? What do you think they'd have said? Yeah, we're men. I need you to participate, guys. I, I, I'm dying up here. No, so what, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, we're men of faith. Of course we're men of faith. Look who we follow. We follow the one we believe is the Messiah. Um, man, not everybody's for us. We're following Jesus. They would have believed, they would declare themselves to be men of faith. And up to this point, believable. But their actions in this story disproved their argument. We're men of faith. You look like men of panic to me in this passage there, guys. Jesus has been teaching in the cities around the Sea of Galilee. He's teaching them in parables. If you read before our passages you'll read, he's teaching them in parables about the kingdom of God. You want to talk about something that's a big subject, that is a complex subject, and Jesus taught it to them in parables. I mentioned putting the jelly on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach it. That's what Jesus did with the parables. He put the jelly on the bottom shelf. Everybody can get a taste. And so he's teaching them in parables about the kingdom of God, and then he decides, you know what? We're going to get in a boat and go on the other side of the sea. And this is when everything, according to the disciples maybe, would say, went off the rails. This is when things got a little bit dicey. Um, From this account, we read this account just now, this doesn't give us a picture that there was just a little bit of wind, and it was a a thunder and lightning, and the rain came down, and, and it wasn't that bad. The water got choppy, essentially. That's not what we read in this story. It talks about a great wind. It talks about the boats filling with water. Um, it, it, the boat was filled with water. That is what we call sinking or sunk. Now, if it's filling with water, sinking. If it's filled with water, it's sunk. All right? So the boat's going under. Um, they're in a state of panic. We're going to cover this, but they're in a state of Panic. Panic. You ever, you ever seen the, you know, the, the, they're, they're panicking and all of a sudden it calms down and they're still screaming a little, oh, I almost lost my cool there for a second. You know, like, no, you lost your cool. Uh, we read about it twice. If we read Matthew, we'd read about it three times. Uh, you lost your cool, guys. Um, you, <laughs> these, these guys, they're seasoned sailors. Not all of them were fishermen by trade. Matthew liked to uh, gouge people for taxes. But for the most part, these guys knew the Sea of Galilee. They, they were seasoned sailors. They knew the waters. This was a bad storm. They're, st- they're in a state of panic, and they come to Jesus, and they plead with him in different ways, which we'll go over 
for intervention, and he intervenes. And how did they respond? What? The wind and the waves obey this guy. Who is he? What manner of man is this? Wow. That's our Savior. So I want to examine four characters, if we can call them that, in this story uh, and, 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 and make some application uh, in a simple manner for us today. <clears throat> the first thing we're going to examine is the sailors. People in this story, the sailors, which in application, biblical application, can apply to us. We're the sailors. Um, so like I said, we're reading about people who are seasoned, experienced sailors. They, they, they had been around the Sea of Galilee. They had been on the Sea of Galilee. They knew these waters. They knew how to sail in these waters. They, they knew how quickly a storm could arise in the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if anybody's ever been over to the Holy Land. I've been blessed to be able to go twice. I'm going again in March. And um, we, we've been there. I've been there two separate times on the Sea of Galilee. The first time was like if you were going to pick a first time on the Sea of Galilee, this was it. This is the best one. Bluebird Day, like little white puffy clouds out there. It's just perfect. Picture perfect. The water's smooth as glass. We get on this boat. Uh, it's a modern boat, but it's built like they were back then or how they say they were. Um, and, and so we, we get on this boat, and it takes you out on the Sea of Galilee. You sail around a little bit. They'll turn the engine off, and you just sit there peacefully floating on the Sea of Galilee. You're like, he walked on that water. How cool is this? You know, like all kind of cool things that happen on this water. And, and you float around a little bit. We sing some praise to the Lord. We had a time of prayer. It was just wonderful. We go back to shore. Second time going to the Sea of Galilee, we're up at a restaurant. We always go to this restaurant before we go to the sea. The restaurant overlooks the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> and as we're eating at the restaurant, the blackest clouds and the heaviest rain, I don't want to say I've ever seen because I'm from Florida, but really dark clouds and really heavy rain and lightning and wind and everything out of nowhere. It just came. I was like, what in the world? And this storm comes down on the Sea of Galilee. We're watching it. And the clouds got really low. And you could see, you know, when you see rain falling from a distance, it's just the sheet coming down. And the water was churning. And I'm thinking, there are people here who are eating what's called St. Peter's fish. They probably import it from China. But, um, and sell it to the tourists for $50 a piece. But it's a, it's a whole fish. Like your meal's looking at you. Are you really going to eat my spleen right now? So like the fish is staring, staring at you as you're eating. But I don't, I don't do that. I eat something else. But, uh, but they're, they're eating St. Peter's fish. And I'm just thinking, okay, they're filling up and the water's doing this. So the boat's going to do this. I hope somebody has a fishing pole because the water's going to get chummed. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't want to gross anybody out before lunch. But uh, this isn't going to be pretty, you know. So I was concerned. And, uh, and we got on the bus four or five minutes from the restaurant down to the dock uh, there by Capernaum, it went away. The storm was just gone. In the time it took us to get from the restaurant to the, the sea was calm. The sky was blue again, like we had designed it that way. Now the seats on the boat were soaked, but that's fine. I'll take that any day over what we could have had. Storms will come up out of nowhere. These sailors, they knew that. They know, they know Storms can come up out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're familiar with this sea. And it's safe, to assume, it's safe to assume that they've all probably been through some type of a, a storm on this water at some point in their lives as fishermen 
they probably have been through some type of a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And, and you can also assume safely, I believe, and, and we do have to be cautious with assumptions with Scripture, but I, I think we can probably assume that they've done everything they can at this point. They've, they've exhausted all their resources. They've gotten to the end of their rope. They've tied a knot at the end, and they're holding on for dear life. And then they go to Jesus to wake him up. And the disciples, when we read the passages, the disciples ask Jesus for help in different ways in all three passages. Well, that's a, that's a contradiction of Scripture. No, it's not. It's Matthew looking from this direction. It's Mark looking here. And Luke, he's got this perception right here, this perspective. And so Matthew, eyewitness. Luke being told a story from a point of... Uh, Luke actually talks about it. So the, the word is, is, is uh, uh, the root word for autopsy because Luke was a physician. He autopsied the situation. He wants to know everything. And then you have Mark, who's being told also, the, the nephew of, of Barnabas, uh, telling the stories in their own ways under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to how they say it. Matthew says, Lord, save us, we perish. Mark says, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Luke says, Master, Master, we perish. What's the common word in all three? Perish. Perish. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Because you know the word perish does not simply just mean to die. John 3.16, that they, uh, uh, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll never die? No, you're going to physically die. But that's not what the disciples were talking about in this verse. Now, we're in a state of despair when they come to Jesus. We're in a state of despair. All of the words, <clears throat> this, like, there are other words translated die in the New Testament. Other words translated into the word die. The word perish, every single time this Greek word is translated, it is translated as perish because it doesn't mean to die. It doesn't mean to end your life. The word translated perish means to be destroyed, abolished, rendered useless, to be put to death as in a sentence, and metaphorically to give over to eternal misery in hell. So I guess you could say things were pretty serious, right? The disciples are coming to Jesus and telling them, telling him, we're going to perish. This is what they were saying to their master. You and us, we're about to perish. Hey, Jesus, we're done. It's all over. The ship's going down. We're sinking. You know what? Everything you've taught up to this point is about to be made of none effect. It, we, Jesus, you heard those descriptions. We're about to be rendered useless. You, you, Master, you're about to be rendered useless by a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Wow, he had a great beginning and he taught some great things. You were just talking about the kingdom of God, but it's all over because we're going to perish. 
This is a disparity in their voice. They're not saying, Jesus, we're simply afraid that we're going to go under the water, breathe in water, and therefore end our lives. No, Jesus, everything that we're working for is about to be done, is about to be made of none effect. Everything God is doing right here is about to end right here and right now. That's despair. That's despair. Any seasoned sailor, any seasoned sailor, will tell you that there is no such thing as simply knowing the sea. You can know channels. You can know markers on land. You can know areas where the wind hits a little bit harder, but even then you can't predict how wind's going to blow, especially in a bowl, a basin where the Sea of Galilee sits. Being experienced as a sailor is much like being experienced in life, right? We can kind of predict what's Murphy's Law, Anything that can go wrong, will go wrong. Have you ever heard of Cole's Law? It's cabbage and mayonnaise all mixed up. All right, sorry. Uh, I just need to wake you back up. You, you kind of fell asleep. Um, some of you will get it later at lunch today. Um, <laughs> life is like the Sea of Galilee. Life is like the Sea of Galilee in a storm. We can't always predict how it's going to go. We simply cannot So we do what we can with what we've got, right? What happens when we look at the world we live in and we say to Jesus, hey, look at this world. Look at what's going on in our society right now. Look at what people are calling good. Look at what people are calling not good. They're calling us evil. Lord, we've done everything we can do and the world's going downhill faster than we can make up for it. In fact, the ship's going under faster than we can bail water. Lord, it's a lost cause. Everything that you've said is going to perish because of the way the world's going. But what did Jesus say? Where is your faith? Where where is your faith, sailors? We can't perish if we know Jesus is our personal Savior. And we know ultimately this world is going to be destroyed, don't we? And we know that it's almost going to destroy itself before he destroys it ultimately. So what is our faith in? Why are we despaired? Um, The second thing is the ship. That's the Lord's work. Um, You want to hear something that you might have not thought about, but it's because it's so obvious that it shouldn't really be thought about, but I'm going to say it because I like to say obvious things because it's annoying and I like annoying people. Yeah? Y'all want to hear something? The ship they got in was uh, seaworthy. Like, hey, Peter, I know this boat. Peter, you sit over on that seat. You're going to have to put your thumb. It's below water level. You're going to put your thumb in a hole and keep it. Uh, James, you've got the harder job. You're going to have to keep your foot on a hole. You've got to put some pressure because all of the pressure of the boat is pushing down. The water's going to want to get in. But y'all, it, it's, it's doable. It's a ish. No, no, no. This was a seaworthy boat. They didn't jump into a ship that was broken down. This was a good ship that's going to go across the Sea of Galilee with no problem. If there's no storm, it's not going to have any issue. But this ship is seaworthy. The ship they got on was seaworthy. It wasn't just sitting there waiting for somebody to try to take it while it sinks. Um, it wasn't really a matter of whether the ship was going to make it across, though. Even if a storm arises or not, the really, the really the question here is who's in the ship with them? Now, ultimately, who's in the ship with them? Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. 
The son of the living God, as Peter declared him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's in the boat with them. You really think that boat's going to go down and the people in it are going to perish? I don't think so. I don't think it's possible. I mean, Jesus would have probably floated on the water. He wouldn't have sunk in the water. The disciples, the men who were following him, you really think he's just going to let them be abandoned in the sea and perish? No, no. Luke 8.22 gives us our best, our best clue into whether or not this ship was going to make it across. Luke 8.22 says, And he said to them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake, and they launched forth. Did you catch the hint? What did Jesus say? Let us what? Go over to the other side of the lake. Where do you think the boat's going to end up? Other side of the lake. And who's going to be in the boat? Because he said, let us. They're not going to go without a boat. The boat's not going to go without them. They, with the boat, are going to show up on the other side of the lake. Why? Because Jesus said it would happen. Jesus declared it to be so in just saying a casual statement. He didn't have to make a grandiose statement. He just said, let us go to the other side of the, sh- of the, of the sea. And they were going to go to the other side of the sea. There's no question. It's a foregone conclusion it's going to happen. Verse 26 says, and they arrived in the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. Shazam. A whole storm. I mean, a lot of stuff happened between 22 and 26, you have to understand. But he said, let us go to the other side. And guess what happened in 26? They arrived at the other side. If we skip all the middle parts, if I was one of the disciples, I'd want to skip all the middle parts. Be like, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And we made it. Hey, cool. Uh, Didn't freak out at all. Uh, Don't know why I'm hoarse. But, uh, you know, yeah. When the Lord says to do something, do it. Get in the ship. It's seaworthy. The Lord's work, the thing that you're involved in just this morning by sitting here under the preaching of the Word of God and encouraging a pastor who stands up here to preach to you and by reading along in your, in your Bible and taking note and changing something about yourself as the Holy Spirit of God convicts you, you're in the Lord's work. As you go out into your community this, uh, this afternoon, as you go out into your community this week or you go to work, you know what you're involved in? The Lord's work. But they don't listen. Okay, keep living it. But... But the world's going down. Washington, D.C. has no bearing on the work of the Lord. In, in, in fact, in 2020 and 2021, we were declared as a church as unnecessary. And what was the word? Unessential. Now, bars can stay open and marijuana dispensaries should stay open. But the church of the living God is not essential. Really? Are you kidding me right now? What did the church of the living God do? We thrived. You know, do you know what, you know what uh, uh, Polycarp said? I think it was Polycarp may have been Tertullian. The blood of Christians is seed. Go ahead and mow us down. Go ahead and stand against the church of the living God. You know what's going to happen? It'll grow. It'll thrive. It'll flourish. The church doesn't fail because of outside opposition. You know why the church fails? We'll talk about this tonight. Inside opposition. So the church isn't going to fail because the storm came in, because the seawater's coming in. Don't worry about that. The ship is seaworthy. Stay in. Don't stop. Don't stop. Psalm 118.23, I love this. It says, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes, isn't it? Isn't the work of God marvelous in our eyes? Man, when he gets involved in something, I want to be involved with him. Uh, The third thing is the storm. Now, you don't have to live very long, be very experienced on this earth to know that storms will arise in your life. And it becomes something that just gets harped on and harped on and harped on. And I don't know how to play the harp, and I'm about to pluck a few strings for a second. Because storms will arise in your life. If you haven't experienced one, you have either seen one happen to somebody else, or you got one in your near future. They just come. 
They just come. And you know what? And I, I know in, in Job, when it says it rains on the just and the unjust, it's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. But uh, you know what? It rains on the just and the unjust. Storms come in life, not just the Christian life. We will all face some sort of trial and testing. Now, this storm was a powerful storm. I've established that these guys knew the waters. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hands. They had made a living in this water. So they knew this, this water. They knew how bad the situation was. We, okay, I've lived for a while, and I've seen some pretty bad storms, but man, this is a doozy. I've never dealt with anything like this before. This is bad. This is, this is really bad. You ever made those statements before? You ever had the thoughts before? You know, the church has never dealt with fill in the blank before. Can I encourage you? Yeah, it has. It's dealt with this and much worse. How about individuals? Man, I, I've never gone through anything. Like, I'm not sure if anybody's ever gone through anything quite like, yeah, they have. I won't even let you finish your statement. They've gone through it before. And, and I didn't say they've had it happen to them before. I said they've gone through it before. People have gone through worse things than I have, and I've gone through some pretty horrible stuff in my life. 37 years old, and we've had some pretty horrible things happen in our lives. You know what? Other people have gone through worse. I'm willing to admit that. It's not a, it's not a competition. I'm willing to admit that others have gone through maybe worse things and got through them through the grace of God. Luke 8, 24, he says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. <clears throat> the word rebuke here is, used this, uh, is, is the same word used to describe how Christ dealt with Satan and his demons. He rebukes Satan. He rebuked the demons. It's interesting that he rebuked the storm. I believe, without being weird and spooky and creepy, that there was a demonic power behind the storm. I believe, I believe... That when they got in that boat, I think Satan thought, I got an idea. If I can't sink him, if I can't hurt him, at least maybe I can get to them. I want to notice a few things about Jesus here. And we're going to talk about him, but uh, uh, there's no panic in his demeanor. They wake him up. He's, He's not panicking. Why am I wet? I'm in ankle deep water right now. What's going on? Guys, you don't know how to bail water. What do you, nope, no panic. No panic at all. And I do believe he was sound asleep. I believe Jesus, God in flesh, 100% man, was asleep on a, on a boat in the middle of a storm. You ever slept on a boat in a storm? It's actually quite nice. It's, I mean, you get rocked. It's nice until you fall off your bunk. But, like, it's not that bad. Now, I've been in some bigger storms that you can't sleep in. Um, because you're awake to do something else that happens when you're in waves. Um, here's the second thing. There's, there, so there's, no, there's no panic in him. Second, there's no questioning the wind and the waves' obedience to him. There's no questioning their obedience. He spoke, and they listened. There's a song that a gospel quartet sing called That's Him, and it, and it talks about him, uh, a wave tapping uh, or the wind tapping a wave on the shoulder and saying, that's him. That's the one we listen to. That's the master. He's the creator. He's the one who made us. How amazing. Do you imagine? He talks about the fact that if we don't praise him, that the rocks will cry out. And the word there is kradzo, and it literally means like a croaking. Rocks don't make pretty noise when they make noise, but the rocks would praise him if we didn't. you imagine nature looking at us and going, 
Can I say it? It's, a, it's from the Greek moranos. Morons? Really? You're not praising him? Come on. We'll do it for you if you don't. Like, could you imagine? There's no question the wind and the waves obedience to him. And number three, it doesn't say anything or everything calmed down. Read it again. It says there was a calm. It doesn't say he told the wind and the, and the waves to calm down and everything calmed down. It says there was a calm. We don't have to be anxious about the storms that arise in our life. It doesn't mean storms are easy. It doesn't mean storms are easy. What it means is, in the midst of the storm, and even after he takes the storm out, there is a calm. Philippians calls it the peace of God which passes all understanding. And what does that peace do? It keeps your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. There's a course that says, sometimes he calms the storm with a whispered, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm. Other times he calms his child. If you've ever been through any type of a storm in life and you clung close to the Savior, you know, you know, and you can testify, there's a calm. There's a peace. An inexplicable, where is it coming from, peace. Because he brings it. Uh, there's an old song. Um, there's uh, uh, Jesus whispers peace. Y'all know George Beverly Shea. He sang this uh, with other another guy. I can't think of his name right now. He sang the song. Jesus whispers peace. He whispers peace in the midst of storms. The last one, and we're going to close, is the Savior. Can't talk about these four characters, and they're all S's, and you can't say the Savior. I can't just say Jesus. The Savior. Jesus asked the disciples the same question that asked you at the beginning, and I am positive it had a whole lot more behind it than when I spoke it. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? He asked the same question. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all pose the question in a different way. Again, remember, different angles of the same thing in a true story. Matthew, Jesus said this, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Mark said, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And Luke simply puts, Where is your faith? Where should their faith have been? It's obvious. It's obvious they had faith. These men did. We all have faith. When you came in here this morning, I didn't see one person go, is the pew going to stay up and I sit down on it? No, nobody's worried that the floor's going to collapse under them. Is there, is there something under us or is it concrete? I don't know either. Uh, I, it, there is a basement and nobody's concerned the floor's going to cave in. Isn't that amazing? Like, we have faith. We put faith in stuff. And it's not wrong to have faith that the pew's not going to collapse on you. Sometimes it will not hold up though, so don't be too uncautious. All right, so there's some things they had faith in. First, they, were, they, they had faith in the fact they were not able to save themselves in this situation. They had tried. So they had tested their faith there and found themselves wanting. Number two, they believed that the ship was going to sink. Now, isn't that interesting? It, it's, they had faith that this ship was going to sink. They believed the storm was more than they could handle. They were right. They were right. They believed that their last hope was to cry out to Jesus but they were probably going to perish. Remember, it doesn't say, Jesus, save us from perishing. Master, save us if you can. We're going to perish. What should they have done? 
Now, they shouldn't have just let Jesus sleep. I'm not saying don't bother Jesus with your problems. Uh, please, please, please call out to him. He wants you to. Please call out to him. The problem with them is they called out to him in panic because they had done everything they could and they were at the end of their rope and their wits end and now they felt like everything was going to fail, perish and everything else and he was going to go with them and that's how they came to him. Jesus should be our first resort. He should be the first person. They, they should have gone to him first. Jesus, a storm has come up. What should we do? What do you want us to do? It shouldn't have been a last ditch effort as it was. Most of us today are like the disciples. We got this great knowledge of Jesus. They had the creator of the world laying in the ship with them and he was asleep. We have a knowledge of him and we know and believe that he knows all about us and the storms that are going on in our lives. Jesus knows, I know, the Lord knows. We know that. We know and believe that he is even present with us even when we can't see it. We know and believe that Jesus is the all-powerful God who can put an end to storms and bring peace and calm in our lives. We know these things, but what are we doing with that knowledge? What do we do with that knowledge? Christian, God doesn't expect you to submit to him in faith without reason. Faith is not an unreasonable thing. Why do we look to him in faith? Because every single time before, he's come through. Never one time has he ever left or forsaken anybody who calls on him. Never one time has he just turned his back. In fact, David says he he was young and he's now old. And you know what he says? I've never seen his seed begging bread. He provides for his own. Let's bow our heads. We're going to have just a moment of invitation.